What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. So is Chris Kaufman. And as always, we are brought to you by Better Edge. Go to betteredge.com slash the number five reasons. You get $25 just for signing up. And as always, Prize Picks. Go to Prize Picks. Use promo code five. They have a one-time rollover on $100, maximum $100. You deposit $100. You bet it through once, only once. It's not one of these stupid rollovers where you have to roll it over a thousand times just once, and they give you the $100. So in other words, it's a free $100 bet. So take it. Promo code F-I-V-E. All right. Uh, The first half of this show, we're going to put to bed some of the guys that were let go today. And in the second half of the show, we'll put to bed the regular and the postseason of the Miami Dolphins 2022 season. But today, uh, Steve Gregory, Ty McKenzie, Steve Ferentz were relieved of their duties along with the defensive coordinator, Josh Mc... I was about to say Josh McDaniels. It's Josh Borsch. It's pretty close. It's another Belichick guy. Yeah, because we were talking about something else that Josh McDaniels was involved with with Jim Mercy. We won't talk about that on this show. I will say this. You know, I've been in and around that building for for three years. Uh, All of these guys were were really, really, really accommodating, uh, very good people. I never, ever saw Steve Ferentz. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. But Do, we, do, I, I do we know that he actually exists, or was he just a photo on the website? Well, he was never made available. I see his photo, but I don't remember him. I really don't. I guess they just didn't make him available ever. But he was also relieved of his duties. I'll start with you, Simon. Uh, I don't think we're surprised. The defense kind of underperformed this year. But your thoughts on these moves? Look, there's a human element to this. Um, you know, there's lots of people rejoicing about the fact that a man lost his job. Uh, and I think once you strip away the 
you know, the fact that it is only a game and, you know, this affects people well beyond sport. I, I think it's always a little bit, um, it's always a bit disconcerting to to cheerlead when, when somebody loses their job. Um, but, you know, like you say, I don't think it's a surprise necessarily. Um, I, I certainly don't think Boyer was nearly as bad as he was made out. I think that there were critical moments in critical games that he got wrong. And mm-hmm. I think that was the the catalyst, really. You know, um, you go back to the game against the Chargers and and dropping everybody off into the end zone. You go back, you know, big third downs all season long absolutely killed us. There were critical, critical moments in that game on Sunday against Buffalo that certainly in the first half he he got badly wrong. Um, and I think ultimately that was the that was the issue. I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he's a bad defensive coordinator. I think he got hamstrung a little bit by by injuries, certainly on the back end. You know, it must be hard to to try and run your defense when you know you're losing what four of your your top six defensive backs are out for the season yeah. or out for a significant mm-hmm. portion of the year. That must be extremely hard, especially when you know three of them are, are starters in Needham, Jones, and Jones. Um, and don't forget, Trill Williams was supposed to be Kerry Coho before he became Kerry Coho. You know, yeah. yeah. So you know, um, I think it's. Like I said, I don't think it's a surprise, Chris, to you. I just think it's, um, you know, I do think it's sad when somebody loses their job. I, I, I do think, and I know we're going to get onto this, but, uh, and you and I, Alf, were talking about this just before we started recording, but I do feel like somebody's lined up or somebody's, you know, I don't think they've gone into this blind, certainly, but, uh, you know, I, I think they'll have a very short list of names of candidates. There has to be one minority candidate interviewed for, for every coordinator position in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see who... Who shakes out in the next in the next few hours, few days, really? So, um, yeah, Chris, I'm not I'm not shocked. Are you shocked? I'm not. I mean, we we can't be shocked. We've talked about it in the past. Um, but I, I think the thing that people have to keep in mind is that you don't get fired because of what you did in the past. You get fired for because of the future. You know, um, especially in a position like this, like defensive coordinator, you're not, you're not firing necessarily Josh Boyer because of this call or that call or something like that. You're firing him because you don't think he's the guy going forward, you know? And, and that that's, I, I know that that's sort of nuanced, but it's important because the reason he's being fired and we can talk about, you know, all oh, this third down was terrible or he blitzed too much or something like that. Um, the reason I think he's being fired ultimately is because of the changing makeup of the, of the personnel on defense and, uh, and the bone structure of the defense is changing that way. And is this the guy that you roll with as the defense is changing? I mean, it's one thing if you had a defense that is built around the shutdown abilities of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, right? Um, you know, that's, that's, that's one, that's one, uh, you know, personnel structure and you might have a defense in mind that works for that, you know, and, and maybe that blitz heavy, that zero look, you know, that, that, that sort of thing works for that structure, but we don't have Byron Jones anymore. He's not going to be back. I don't think we're, you know, saying anything, um, controversial by saying that, um, Xavier Howard clearly was not Xavier Howard this year. They put him in some bad positions uh, and, and he was also injured, but you know, he's, he's also kind of a, a little older now. He still believes he can play, but he also said at the end of the year, he's like, I just need to be put in better positions. 
Um, and I think that kind of foreshadowed uh, this release. Um, and, and so instead, what you have is, is a defense that's being built around Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, Christian Wilkins, and Zach Sealer. It's around the defense is being built around that that strong defensive front. And I think that calls for a different defense. And maybe Josh Boyer is not the authority on transitioning to a different defense in this way. You know, maybe, maybe if if you were just gonna run it back and like try and retool the same approach and say, you know, hey, well, we're gonna get Xavier Howard back next year. He's gonna be healthy, we swear. And we're going to find a shutdown corner to replace Byron Jones, and you know all this, all all this stuff. We're gonna we're just going to retool and find the players that that staff the same exact de- defensive growth. Then I think Josh Boyer would be back, and it had to be a uh, it had to be a, an actual thought in that building. Like, hey, we're gonna, you know, we can do this. We can we can restaff. You know, we can we can retool. Um, I think that this is sort of an, an acknowledgement that that that's not really possible. Um, and, and we need, and the defense needs to change and Josh Boyer is probably just not the guy to sponsor that. And I don't think there's any hard feelings. I think there's a lot of respect for Boyer in that building and there should be, uh, he's, he's, I think he is ultimately a good coach. I mean, yeah, he made, he did make some mistakes, but, um, I think, you know, ultimately that's the reason he's not here anymore. Yeah. And dolphin fans are very, very aware of, a defensive coordinator having serious blunders. I had my issues with Matt Burke and I won't rehash them, but you could go back in history. Tom Alabadotti, uh, you know, how many times did Tom Alabadotti come up short in, in the playoffs against mostly the Buffalo Bills? Josh Boyer was not that. He wasn't a guy prone to blunders. Uh, the only blunder I can remember really was that play on the, you know, having all everybody on the goal line and then allowing then to throw a ball, throw the ball to the best pass catching back in football, and have him get the ball all the way down to the two yard line, which gave him a, uh, an idea to go for it on fourth down. They got a touchdown on there, and if you look at the final score at the end of the game, that went a long way to losing that one. So, Josh Boyer is a very competent coach. He has a great resume. He'll land on his feet. He'll be okay. And he's the one who also said he said to him, you know, he told Barry Jackson when Barry Jackson. Uh, asked him a very foreboding question about, you know, possibly getting fired. And he said, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. And he will be okay. He'll land on his feet somewhere, maybe New England. Maybe we see him in the division two times a year. Um, Well, that begs the question. Uh, I said on this show, I didn't want our team to be one of those dipshit teams that just looks at the rankings at the end of the year and says, well, you know, defense was 18th and 24th in scoring, so fire everybody. And not have a plan the best teams have a plan they have enough talent i think this is a very attractive roster to sell to a defensive coordinator and the head coach has already said and said many many a times that he wants head coaches of units that he tends to be very hands off that's a good thing he will not micromanage so he'll hand over part of the roster to be managed by a defensive coordinator so I think it'll be a really attractive job. Simon, you have a short list. Um, I mean, I've got some names that I think that I find interesting. You know, I, I you know, 
there are coaches who are still in employ elsewhere that I'd be intrigued about. Brandon Staley, obviously, feels like he's going to stay at the Chargers, but you don't know. Raheem Morris, obviously, if he leaves the Rams. Um, Ajayo Overo of the Broncos, who I think has done a phenomenal job, obviously knows Bradley Chubb very well. Um, Shane Bowen, if he leaves Tennessee. Um, and then, you know, some some guys who are position coaches, not coordinators, but hugely highly regarded. Uh, Chris Harris in Washington, Drew Wilkins of the Giants, uh, Chris Kaczurek, who obviously has been at the Dolphins before as defensive line coach of the of the 49ers, Nick Rallis of the the Eagles, who's the linebackers coach under under Jonathan Gannon. Um, and then there's the guy at uh, Seattle, whose name completely escapes me for some bizarre reason. Um, Sean Desai? Yeah, Sean Desai. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then, you know, you could go through a, a kind of a cast of former head coaches who are now, you know, coaching elsewhere and then whether that's Steve Wilkes, if he doesn't get the Carolina job, I mean, I don't, I don't foresee Dan Quinn going to another team to be a defensive coordinator, but you know, th- there's guy, what, what's Lovey Smith going to do? Is he going to retire? Is he going to, you know, does he want another head coaching job? Donatel just got fired by the way. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, I, I, I think. Look for me. I think um, I think Vic Fangio is the name that that obviously pops off the page for everybody. Um, you know, McDaniel wanted him um, previously, uh, didn't get him, obviously. Um, but Vic Fangio loves you know defensive linemen. He loves edge rushers. He loves you know the front seven especially. And he, like, he likes know, going to Denver Nugget games with Bradley Chubb. He does <laughs> like going to Denver Nuggets games with Bradley Chubb. But you know, hey Vic, you know, come and reunite with Bradley Chubb. And also we've got this young stud Jalen Phillips and we've got this kid Emmanuel Ogba coming back off off IR and here's this long haired freak called Andrew Van Ginkle and do you know Christian Wilkins and have a look at Zach Sealer and here's Raekwon Davis and John Jenkins and you know there's some talent on the back end as well. And meet this kid called Javon Holland and you know, Xavier Howard can still, you know, can still play. And, you know, that that's enticing for anybody, I think. So I think, you know, top of my list probably would be Fangio. I think Vero would be a, a very interesting name. And if he was let go by the Chargers, I think Brandon Staley would be a guy I'd be, be very interested in as well. So there, there's some interesting names out there. I mean, Chris, you got any others? I, I mean, that to me would be kind of my list, I think. Oh, and Austin Clark as well, who's the Dolphins. Current defensive line coach, he's done a tremendous job. Obviously, the beloved job. Austin Clark. We would have had a yeah, we, yeah, we would have had a, a problem here if, if he was somehow let go because he's a favorite of all of those guys you mentioned, which happened to be the core of that defense. Uh, well, you know, and and Austin Clark didn't didn't he? I mean, he was he was with the Illini, right? Uh, and so, um, like, was he was he at at some point was he under Lovey Smith there um, with with uh, with the Illini? Because, you know, I bring that up because I, the buzzword I keep hearing is about experience. And um, and so, you know, yeah, you could you could make the case for guys that have sort of personal and professional connections with Mike McDaniel, um, you know, guys that are tooling under uh, under uh, Robert Saleh right now, like, you know, Mike Rutenberg or, uh, or Aaron White Cotton. Uh, Tony Oden. Yeah, he was there two uh, or, years with uh, with Lovey. Yeah, yeah, and at oh wait, Austin Clark. So yeah, yeah. but anyway, but getting back to you know, uh, you could you could get guys that are under Saleh and have been coached with uh, McDaniel, and that he's named by name as guys that are like friends of his, 
Uh, Joe Woods just got fired from Cleveland, uh, and you know, obviously they coach together in uh, in San Francisco. Corey Unlund, uh, James Betcher is a is an interesting name that people have brought up. Um, you know, has a good reputation. Uh, it could be something like that, but but the buzzword I keep hearing is about experience, and that's where a Vic Fangio comes in. You know, because whoever, as you say, Alf, the whoever comes in is going to be the head coach of the defense. And we just went through a season where I think uh, it's safe. It's fair to say that Mike McDaniel showed the fact that he's a little wet behind the ears mm-hmm. as a head coach. And we'll talk about ways. that in the second half of the show, too. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, because of that, I think that there's some thought, you know, from, from people in the building that you, if you hire a Vic Fangio, um, you know, or, or a guy that has not just, has not just defensive coordinator experience, but also maybe head coach experience, um, then you're helping out. You're going a long way toward helping out Mike McDaniel as a head coach. And, and the reason I brought that up or brought up the Austin Clark thing under Lovey Smith is obviously he's, he's out, you know, and I think that he would probably not accept anything below a head coach position anymore, but, um, but you know, he, it's possible. The other thing to consider, though, is uh, is that, you know, there, there could be a power broker situation going on with um, Richmond Flowers, who is uh, who's, you know, he's the agent of a lot of coaches in the NFL. And um, he is Mike McDaniel's agent. He is also Vic Fangio's agent. He is also Edgero uh, Evero's agent, you know. Um, and that's a guy that um, that uh, Simon just brought up that could be uh, could find himself, you know, leaving Denver and looking for a job. And the other the other guy that I know like it, that would that I'm sure Mac McDaniel would love to hire is Jeff Ulbrich from the Jets. The question is, you know, lateral move. That's tricky. I'm not sure that that, you know, that really would um, would work. Um, but certainly also Raheem Morris, uh, is a, is a good shout, but, uh, you know, leader in the clubhouse, Vic Fangio. Um, and I think, uh, I think that that's probably the one that I would, I would just bring up real quick, uh, you know, kind of a wild card to think about it. And, you know, we've talked about him a little bit is keep in mind that Leslie Frazier up in Buffalo is, is finishing out the third year of what is likely as three year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, he did, he did an, an original three year stint in Buffalo and they gave him one of those, you know, make you happy, promote you, uh, three year, three year contract extensions, gave him the, gave him the assistant head coach title. Um, he's probably now on the third out of the three years uh, of that. And so he's, he's upcoming free agent. I think Alf, you've mentioned that there's usually or most often there's a fourth year option there, our team option. Um, it's a sweetener just for that title, you know, to make well, you but, it, but it's but it's a sweetener. It's a sweet a team option is never a sweetener for the right. for the for the player or for the coach. It's a sweetener for the team. You know, it's it's it, it's a way of the team controlling your your fate for for another controlling your rights for a fourth year. Should they without paying for it, you know, should should they decide to uh, to option it? So it wouldn't actually it actually wouldn't surprise me if, you know, He's coming off the first three-year stint. He's a great coordinator, leading a great defense for Buffalo. They're trying to give him a make-you-happy contract. 
and they give him the assistant head coach title. And he says, to them, you know, oh, by the way, this fourth year team option shit, you know, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if that's if if that's in play there. But that, there's a lot of ifs, obviously. But um, I think the biggest I, the one if, thing I'll, I hate to hate to inter- interrupt you, but I think the biggest if is their game on Sunday. We were a year ago where the entire Buffalo media was prepared to throw Leslie Frazier under the bus and blame him for the 13 seconds, the infamous yeah. 13 seconds. What happens Sunday? They're playing Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. They get smoked. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know what's happening Monday, you know? Well, you don't, but, I mean, to be fair, they had the number one scoring defense in the NFL last year, and they had the number two scoring defense in the NFL this year. So, I mean, you know, he's coming off he's coming off great years, but that might actually be why he could be interested in a new – I'm not just saying – I'm not saying the Dolphins even, but, like, a new uh, place to coach because he's been there six years, and if this is a guy that wants to be a head coach, and, and all indications are that he does – um, if he wants to be a head coach again, uh, you know, what's the definition of insanity? He's been there six years. He can't even get an interview in this cycle. You know, he's leading the number two scoring defense in the NFL. He led the number one scoring defense in the NFL last year, and he can't even get an interview this cycle. So there's something to be said for the idea of going, you know, going to be the head coach of defense under a, you know, wet behind the ears offensive guy who won't even touch the defense, you know, and and maybe that maybe that's his last Hail Mary to try and get a head coach job. I, you know, it's it's just something to consider. I know the Dolphins would probably love to weaken a, 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 a division opponent by taking somebody from the Jets or taking somebody from the Bills. So, uh, you know, somebody to keep in mind that's on the third year of his three year uh, contract. Now, it's all, you know, we've been talking about experience, and that seems to be probably the way that they're going to go. But if you're going to go for the, you know, the, the hot shot young gun, is there a better name than Sean Desai? Because if you look at his, his uh, resume, and you you brought this about on on OnlyFans, yeah, not only has he, he worked under Pagano and under Lovey Smith, he was at the University of Miami for a year, and you know he's being credited. You know, it's it's sometimes when players give guys credit, but Eddie Jackson has credited him with his career. Um, is there even a possibility, Simon, that they go that they try to pair the hot shot uh, young gun at on offense with a hot shot young gun on defense this time around? Yeah, potentially. I mean, what I like about Desai, I mean, there's lots of things, but. You know, collegiate experience. He's been a special teams coach. He's been a defensive coach, but he's also coached running backs. You know, and he's done football operations. So he's really been on all sides of the of the coin. So that's you know, to me, that's the really interesting thing. Obviously, he's younger. He's thirty nine, so you really are coming in, and it flies in the face of what you guys have just been talking about in terms of that experience thing. But you know, he lost out in the defensive coordinator battle in Cleveland to Jim Schwartz. Uh, he interviewed with him, I think, Monday of this week. But, you know, he's really highly regarded. and you, you, I, I just do wonder about whether or not having two extremely young coordinators on both sides of the ball, because obviously when Daniel Coyne plays on offense, given some of the, you know, fuck-ups that we saw, certainly at points on offense this season, whether or not you could risk that happening again, or whether there just needs to be some sort of veteran sort of consigliere who can just be a sort of an overseer and could just, you know, 
have a word in McDaniel's ear at times, like a Fangio or a Lovey Smith or a Leslie Frazier, somebody of that ilk who could just who just brings a few more years to the table that that Coach McDaniel doesn't have. Mm. No. Yeah, I think um, keep in mind about the side. He was he was defensive coordinator of the Bears, uh, right last year. Um, they weren't necessarily a bad defense. They got worse when he left. Uh, he left because they hired a defensive coach, and you know, obviously, um, that guy had had ideas about who was going to take over as defensive coordinator. But you know, he's he's not only coached under like uh, Lovey Smith and Chuck Pagano. He's coached under Vic Fangio. He's known to be a Vic Fangio guy. Um, he's he currently coaches under Pete Carroll. Uh, he was the youngest coordinator in, in NFL history in Super Bowl, you know, history, uh, Super Bowl era history in the NFL last year when he took over the Bears defense. Uh, he's, you know, he's known as the professor. He literally was a college professor. I believe he has a Ph.D., um, you know, which seems like it kind of jives with uh, with Mike McDaniel's general approach to the game. Um, and I think that uh, I think that, you know, getting hired getting hired straight away to Pete Carroll's defense when Pete Carroll never even coached with the dude um, says something about him getting kept on by all the coaches that have gone in and out of Chicago, generally speaking, that says something for him. Um, I think that, you know, he's, he's a hot name and you're right to bring it up. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, Simon was what Simon just said about the experience, about having a weathered guy, you know, to help Mike McDaniel out. That's probably the theme that's running hottest in that uh, in that building right now, and so we'll see. All right, one last name, and then uh, I guess we could we could briefly talk about the connections to Mike McDaniel. But one last name, as far as I, I wouldn't say you know hot shot young gun because he's his resume is lengthy, but he did he did cross paths with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco for a year. Uh, Tony Oden. Tony Oden has he's been here before. Uh he's with the Jets right now. It would be a promotion. Uh your thoughts, Chris, and then I I like to get Simon in on this one because this like if you want to talk about resumes, he although he's never been a defensive coordinator before. But if you want to talk resumes and you know, try to pair two young guys together, although Tony Oden, like I said, he's been around forever. He's my age, actually. Um I like his resume. Him, Sean Desai, like if that's the way they're going to go, like Tony Odin should have his name at the top of the list. Do you agree, Chris? Yeah, I think that um, that he would he would be a, a strong interview for them. Uh, it would be a reunion of sorts with the Dolphins. He was obviously he was here in uh, 2018 and 2019. Um, he did coach for San Francisco for a year. So obviously uh, I think Mike McDaniel knows him. He's coaching under Robert Saleh in the New York uh, in New York right now, so clearly an impression was made uh, in San Francisco. Uh, I think it speaks well of him. Uh, as you say, he's got a good resume. He's been around a lot of teams, um, and he's you know he's been a defensive backs coach for a long time. Uh, it does sound like a you know a very Sean Desai kind of uh, hot young name. Uh, I say young, but he's forty nine years old. Um, and and I think that uh, I think that it would be make sense as an interview, but again, he's in the same bat, he's in the same boat as Desai, 
when it comes to, you know, do we want the experience? Do we want the, you know, sort of the more grizzled um, experience voice in the room that can, that Mike McDaniel can lean on a little bit. Um, we'll see. Simon, any thoughts? on? Order? Yeah. I mean, look, he's a terrific coach. You only have to look and see what he's done with the, those young corners in New York this year with, with Source Gardner, et cetera, you know, to, to know. There's a couple, actually, a couple of names that I've kind of just been pondering while you, you guys have been talking. One of them is Johnny Holland, who's the linebackers coach mm-hmm. at the 49ers. Um, you know, and I mean, that group with Al Shahir, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner is as good as it gets in the league. The other guy that we haven't touched is Jim Leonard. Hmm. Just, you know, outside the box kind of thinking probably won't happen, but you know, a guy that we understand is keen to come to the NFL, obviously, you know, cut his teeth at Wisconsin, highly regarded, interviewed for the Packers defensive coordinator job, turned it down uh, or withdrew from the, from the selection process. But, you know, maybe a name to keep an eye on. Yeah. It's it, although it's odd that uh, Wisconsin is not, has no interest, right? To retain him as the head coach. Did they hire yeah, a guy something, already? Something. Yeah. They hired Matt. Um, uh, Who the hell Luke did Wisconsin Fickle? hire? <laughs> they hired Luke Fickle. Did they? Uh, did they did they go for Fickle? Where did, where did Matt rule end up? Nebraska. Yeah. Matt rule went to Nebraska inexplicably. <laughs> yeah. Fickle's the Wisconsin head coach. I'm sure he is. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's odd that Jim Leonard, although I, you know, yeah. I'm not an expert on on the on the job Jim Leonard did in in Wisconsin. You know, I know yeah. they were not good. <laughs> they were not good this year. Oh, I will say though about Holland, the thing, the thing to you know, I don't know if it's a concern or not. I mean, first off, that is an experienced coach, right? Mm. Like, uh, it, it, he's been in the. I think he's been a coach for 35 years. I mean, yeah. he's he's um he's he's very experienced, uh, but. For some reason, he's been stuck at the linebackers coach level for that long, essentially. Um, and I, I think I, I wonder about that. I do know that you know I've seen I've seen guys write about how extremely well respected he is. He was in that San Francisco organization. Um, so in, in that vein, you, you wouldn't be surprised if Mike McDaniel is like, "Hey, why doesn't this guy get a shot?" You know, and um, and and really kind of. Uh, try to push so um i mean the that flip side be- of that maybe is that you know he just doesn't want to be anything else other than a linebacker coach we don't know that information but you know you just get guys don't you that just like doing what they do and they don't want to necessarily mm-hmm. go up the ladder and they're just kind of comfortable not being the guy but well you know chris Kasirik, the guy that you the, you mentioned before always struck me as that yeah like he wanted he wanted he wanted to be defensive line he loves defensive line um you know, he, I've I actually I remember talking to him uh, before the Super Bowl, before the um, Super Bowl in Miami, um, and uh, and you know he's just he does seem very satisfied about being a defensive line coach. Um, so I, I wonder if he does like I, I would not be surprised if he wants to be a defensive coordinator. Many you know coaches do, but um, but you know it's it's a question. All right, and we're gonna go to break now. It's obvious, uh, like if I had to put a name out there, the leader in the in our clubhouse, if we had a blank check, is Nick Vic Fangio, right, Simon? Yeah, I mean, you just you just see what he's, you know, his resume. I think it would um, plus what he brings in terms of that experience factor that we've just been discussing. You know, it's hard to it's hard to look elsewhere when you when it comes yeah. to it. 
And the talent fits too. You agree, Red Crane? And yeah, the talent fits the defensive front. That's that's kind of his thing. Um, but also, you know, you just mentioned that Ed Donatel just got canned in uh, Minnesota. Well, that mm-hmm. was that's 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 his longtime secondary coach, um, Vic Fangio. So uh, you know, not only could you have a situation where Vic Fangio comes, but he's already got you know he's already got his long his longtime secondary coach lined up um to to bring with them it's possible anyway uh, you know so so yeah it, it does feel like the um the elephant in the room i guess you know or the 500 pound gorilla or whatever um, yeah so yeah well, well we're gonna go to break and when we come back we will put together we will put to bed the 2022 miami dolphins season but first these words do you have a water leak and can't find where it's coming from? Are you dealing with water or mold damage in your home or business? Then call Water Cleanup of Florida at 954-579-0356 for immediate assistance. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and their team is prepared to handle all types of leak detection issues. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. After the leak has been located and repaired, Water Cleanup of Florida will then clean, dry, and fully restore the damaged areas. Water Cleanup of Florida is fully licensed, insured, and certified to provide the one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There is no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle the entire project from start to finish. Service areas include Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone at 954-579-0356. That's 954-579-0356. Or visit their website at wcufl.com. Water cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. All right, I hate to be this guy, but Simon, I would say, and if you want to disagree with me, it's fine. If you if you want to call me an idiot, that's good too. Um... Uh, this was a disappointing season, I think. I think they underachieved by at least a game, if not more. And I understand the the injuries, but there was, in my opinion, there was more lows than there should have been. And that five-game losing streak was, I think, put a huge damper on the season. Now, if I had to say, give uh, you know, a positive. 85-81. That was a score between the Miami Dolphins and their arch rival, the Buffalo Bills, and that's the competition going forward. You want to win the division? You want to get yourself in a better position in the playoffs? You win the division. You get a home game in the playoffs. That's the competition. 85-81. That was impressive. Other than that, slight disappointment in the regular season. Am I wrong? Do you agree? Disagree? Uh, I generally agree. I mean, I think maybe that's slightly colored by the fact that we were eight and three and went, were playing mm-hmm. for the number one seed against San Francisco and went up on the first play of the game. And the excitement at that point was like massive. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of fall away, I thought was disappointing. There's obviously a wider question that we'll get into with the quarterback and injuries. 
um there are obviously we were hamstrung you know people like don't make excuses it's not i mean they are facts these are facts yes. of the matters you know you you remove you know the f- f- four of the six best defensive backs on any team in the league that they will struggle that is not an excuse that's just a fact um but i think the the, the point that we were eight and three and looking fantastic and people were talking about us as a potential Super Bowl team and then to really you know reverse back into the playoffs you know by the by the back of back doors was kind of you know a bit disappointing that five game wins losing streak was was pretty average really apart from that buffalo game you know that i i thought you know those, those two road games on the west coast were really disappointing um in terms of how they played out stylistically but also the score you know just when you just you thought okay we've kind of beaten up on some you know some not bottom feeders but you know i mean detroit were one and six at the time and you know the Steelers weren't great at the time and cleveland aren't a great team and houston obviously ended up with a second second overall pick and you know whoever else we beat in the chicago they ended up with the first overall pick so you know there were some bottom feeders in there and um you know you just thought we had the confidence from winning five games in a row the quarterback's firing and then to sort of lay a bit of an egg on the West Coast was was disappointing. You come back and you play really well, albeit in a losing manner against Buffalo. But you know, there were there was lots to be there was lots to be cheerful about. There was lots to look forward to to next season. But there's certainly lots of questions. And I, I think ultimately, you know, from being eight and three, from being in that position, and then getting the kick in the teeth to end up at nine and nine and eight, back into the playoffs, lose playing with your third string quarterback. Oh, and then the other shit sandwich, which is the fact that the owner gets the the first your first round pick taken off you as well. Kind of just uh, uh, there's lots to be excited about. McDaniel, the quarterback, the receivers, the defensive line. That you know, there's some sexy players. It's exciting to be you know, but yeah, nine and eight plus losing your first round pick is a bit of a shit. Is a bit shit really. So yeah, I mean a bit a, a bit disappointing. I think a bit disappointing, a bit underwhelming, and a little bit. You know, I think you nailed the word. Really, you said it was. Um, what, what I can't remember what word you said it was now, but it was a really good word. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> that word was very important and very good. And, and if we remembered that word, y'all would, would be make really this impressed. Much better. It would make this a much better show. I don't even remember, remember that, that word. word. I don't. That word, word was very good. <laughs> Promise. Yeah. Trust me, it was a great word. Uh-huh. It was a. Uh, I I didn't say uneven. I didn't say what 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 the hell did I say? It was a uh, disappointing, uh, underwhelming. Uh, it was something like it began with you, I'm sure. But anyway, it's not. It was not that important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, are, are you with me? Yeah. Even even what? Look, a lot of people don't give a give a crap about game score. I do. Okay. Uh, I do. Uh, game score says ten wins. Like there was ten wins yeah. with this roster, with those injuries, with you know, with health. We're talking about eleven, twelve, and maybe even twelve comes into into view. But man, some some disappointing moments uh, against Minnesota. You know, you can't you can't figure it out with your backup quarterbacks to win a game until the last game of the season. That Jet game, and I understand they were within a field goal in the fourth quarter, but all hell breaks loose on them in the last five minutes and you lose by 23 points, uh, you lay an egg for the most part. Somehow you're down three points to start the fourth quarter 
against the Chargers. But that was an egg, a monumental egg for most of that game from the offense, from the defense, from all involved. Uh, kind of disappointing, no? You agree? It, well, I mean, yeah, how could you're always going to how could you not be disappointed, right, with the the same record that we were a year ago when we're we're hoping to improve, you know? Um, but at the same time, it's it's really just it's in the eye of the beholder because um, I think as the season went on, what some of the things that we discovered is are that we probably shouldn't have had the expectations that we did. You know, um, I think that it was unfair in some ways to expect the first year head coach who was as young as Mike McDaniel, who hadn't even been a play caller before, um, you know, or at least not the official play caller. Uh, you know, it, it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, unfair to expect him to not have significant bumps along the way. Um, it's unfair maybe even going back to Josh Boyer and his fire firing. Uh, this was the first year that he was a defensive coordinator and didn't have, you know, a very mean mugging Brian Flores standing over his shoulder, <laughs> ready, to, ready to take over, um, ready to take over the, the entire, you know, defensive think process uh, at any given moment uh, during the week or during the game. Um, you know, and, and, maybe it was unfair of us to to think that a defense that was built around the shutdown capabilities of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones is going to be a good defense when Xavier Howard is so hampered by injuries that he's having statistically one of the worst seasons of any corner in the NFL this year. Um, and Byron Jones never played a down. You know, and, and uh, you know, all these things, it's a little it might have been a little unfair for us. to think. And and then you have the Tua situation. You're going to miss you're going to miss how many how many games did it end up being uh, that four and a half, four and a half, four and a half games without your uh, your your well, starting with the playoffs, five and a half playoffs, five and a half, five. Yeah, five and a half because of the, the playoffs. You're going to you're going to miss your quarterback for five and a half games. Uh, you're gonna you're, the entire thought process behind your defense is going to be thrown in the garbage. Um, uh, you're you're gonna you have first year you know green or wet behind the ears uh, head coach who hadn't even been a play caller before, and now he's going to be a head coach and play caller. Uh, you're gonna have all these things, and and you're still expecting you know Super Bowl. You know maybe 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 we had bad expectations. And and maybe we even maybe we even overperformed them because frankly, my goal all year I didn't even have that much of a goal um, in mind for the regular season. Uh, for the regular season, my goal all year was I want that first playoff win that we've gotten since Bill Clinton was president. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I want I want the playoff win. It's been way too long. It's embarrassing. Um, and I want that playoff win. And frankly, how close were we to getting exactly that? Yes. This, you know, and and so you know, on, on the one hand, you yeah, you can't help but be disappointed. But on the relative to our expectations, on the other hand, you're like, guys, you probably shouldn't have expected that in the first place. 
And, and yet we still almost came away with exactly, you know, so close to coming away with exactly what, um, you know, the end goal was uh, for me in this season, uh, which was that first playoff win in so long. And we were competitive in that game. And it's, well, you know, I, I don't like, you know, the uh, the whole the uh, moral victory game at all, but uh, that was the first close playoff game that we've played since Bill Clinton was president. <laughs> so um, uh, you know, was it? Well, we, yeah, well, yeah, it was nineteen ninety five. The last time they played a competitive playoff game, and no, yeah, no, no, it was uh, no, it was uh, it was two thousand. It was after the two thousand season. We won against the Indianapolis Colts in the wild card round. That was the the game that uh, Jay. No, but the last time that they lost, that they lost in a close game in the playoffs, I believe was nineteen ninety five. Oh, oh, the the last time they lost in a close game in the playoffs. Yeah, you're right. It 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 goes back longer, but but we did win in the playoffs, so I mean that that counts. Um, but I mean the first this would this would have been the first playoff win since since two thousand, since January, early January of two thousand, and um and I think that that or two thousand one, and I think that um. I think that that's saying something about our expectations and maybe we should have sharpened up our game a little bit uh, in addition to, you know, in addition to the improvements that obviously need to be made on the coaching staff and with the team uh, this off season and, and with the personnel. Um, But yeah, I think that's, it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder. It's how you look at it. Yeah. And we're going to move on now to the, the coaches and we're going to go down the team, you know, piece by piece uh the coach his first year you know you can't argue with you know his performance against the buffalo bills the previous uh previous regime uh last year was 61 to 11 was the final score uh that's not competitive uh 35 to nothing and then 26 to 11 no not fun not not fun watching those games this year man it felt different and i don't know if the bills are weaker than they were last year. They probably are. And and we improved. We obviously did. But those three games reminded me of why I like this sport and why I like this team and why this can be so much fun going forward. That was those three games. Like, I'll put them up against anything. A- anything that this team has done as far as winning, success, anything in the last 10 years. That is my source for for optimism for next year. And that was, you got to give it to Mike McDaniel because his offense was mostly the catalyst in all three of those games. Although the defense did make plays in game one and game three to keep them in it. Mike McDaniel obsesses over getting that first playoff win. That's another good thing about him. And his communication is great. Very accommodating. Smart comes in with the the reputation as a guru and actually delivers on that. Now, you know, he did add Teron Armstead and Tyreek Hill to the offense and his quarterback was playing pretty well. So with his starting quarterback, top five offense. And if you believe in some of the advanced metrics, top three, and in some metrics, top two, that's pretty good. Man, I think it's a, it's a pretty, and I understand the, the clock management issues. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I would say I'm much more optimistic on that end. And I th- and I understand that it's it's contradictory to say, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm kind of disappointed 
in their season this year, but I really like the coach. And, but I do. Okay. So if you want, if you want to say that, that it's kind of weird to be that contradictory, I guess I will be weird in that regard. I love this first year of Mike McDaniel. And that's what I'm most optimistic about. Your thoughts, Simon, the head coach. In his yeah, first I, mean, year. I, like, I like the head coach. I like what he did. But the, the bottom line is the record is the record. We finished nine and eight, okay, which is the same record as, as the guy before. And in big moments, we went on the road at the back end of the season in big games and we lost and laid an egg in San Francisco. We lost and laid an egg in, in, in L.A., we lost in Buffalo twice. We lost in New England. You know, we're 0-5 in big games at the back end of the year on the road against big playoff contenders. And, you know, that has to change. You know, you can't be up on cupcakes and get into the playoffs. At some point, you have to beat the big teams. So, uh, hugely optimistic. He seems a great guy. You know, great with the media, funny, dark sense of humour, but that only gets you so far, you know. So, I, I, I think that... Um, what I know about Mike McDaniel, he will go away and work hard on the things that he failed at um, whilst continuing to work on the things that he was really good at. I felt like a little bit like the offense became a little bit, you know, it was great to see that little reverse to Jalen Waddle and those sorts of things. We sort of, you know, the innovation and that kind of whole sort of Je Jeff Darlington saying, oh, you know, the game plan is going to be absolutely balls out. And, and it really wasn't. It wasn't anything different, really. Um you know, I thought we became a bit predictable at times. You know, Tyreek off the hit off the field, we're probably going to run. You know, if you lined up Craycraft and Sherfield to the same side, you're pretty sure you're going to run that way. Um, you know, the, I, I think he has to get out of those tendencies, passing on third and short, all of those sorts of things, uh, trying to outthink himself sometimes. Um, so, yeah, lots to go, lots to be thankful for, lots to be excited about, but an awful lot to work on as well. Chris, your critique on year one of Mike McDaniel. Well, I think, you know, it, it, it's it's in some ways unfair to even compare him to Brian Flores. You know, when, when we talk about, you know, he just had the same record as the guy the year before, uh, which is true. Um, but keep in mind, Brian Flores, when he was a first-year head coach, he had the ultimate practice year, practice run, right? It was a tank year. Like, there was no expectations uh, in that year. They, they could they could screw around and lose as many games as we want and the fan base were like you know yeah and bring get it sued on, over it. It. <laughs> yeah and just <laughs> bring it on bring on the losses you know um and and so and even the owner is like you know joking around supposedly allegedly joking around that you have to uh, say allegedly that, it's a legal matter yeah, now Chris. yeah uh, joking around that he'll pay him off to lose some games you know and, and so you had a guy that really had a chance to get his feet wet as a new head coach, you know, with no, um, no expectations here, Mike McDaniel took over a very different team. You know, he took over a team that we are having expectations and then his, you know, built, built on his own success, the expectations even ratcheted up even further when they traded for Bradley Chubb. And now it's like, and now it's like, hey, we're going for the Super Bowl this year. Um, and I, I think that that's in some ways, you know, how could you, how could the first year head coach not disappoint in that situation? Um, it's it's really it's an unfair situation. Uh, and and so I think that coming into the year, he was supposed to um, really revamp 
the offense conceptually into a, a, a grown-up, fully mature NFL offense, he did that. You know, he did that. Uh, he was supposed to, quote-unquote, fix Tua. He did that. <laughs> you know, he, he did that. So um, Yeah, I know I, it's I only 12 that, games, but 27 points a game, I'm with that. Yeah, I mean, he... He, he did that. And I think that the, so he, he actually accomplished the more realistic goals that probably should have been set up for him. Uh, no, he didn't accomplish goals that, that were probably not realistic. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's, that's some, that's on him. And yeah, he will re, you know, he will, as Simon says, work on the things he failed at in the off season and, uh, and go into the lab and look at, offensively the things that were working and not working um, and the tendencies that they, that they showed and, and that defenses took advantage of. And, you know, he's, he's going to come up with new answers next year. Um, so we'll see, but yeah. And I, I think that, I think that he did probably who would you say amongst Dolphins coaches um, had a better first year? You know, if we're going back, if we're really going back, you know, a first year as a Dolphins coach. I, think I, don't, Dave, think Jimmy, I don't think even Jimmy Johnson had a better first year. No, he did you not. Know? Dave Wanstead had a monster first year. Won the division Dave and won the had, that's, that's true. Dave Wanstead had a good good first year. Um, you're right. He won a playoff game. That's the last time we won one. Um, he did take over a team that was built just as Mike McDaniel, you know, you could argue that he he took over a team that was built. To be fair, um, he had a first-year quarterback in Jay Fiedler, so. Right. It was a little um, bit different. You know, it was Marino's right, retirement year. He didn't have Dan Marino, and he had he had yeah. that. So I, I think, yeah, you have to go back more than 20 years, obviously, to to say that we had a um, – you know, we, we, we had this kind of success. I mean, even – I guess you could say Tony Sperano because they came up with the wildcat. The wildcat wasn't sustainable, you know? Um, And so, you know, you look at that too, but I I think that this was a a really one of the strongest first years that we've had in Dolphins coach history. And, um, and so a lot of reasons to look forward, uh, look forward and be optimistic. Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, you know, I think that the identity of this team, you know, the quarterback and the two wide receivers, Waddle and, and Hill, uh, I think that's the identity going forward. You got to be happy with what they've done as far as the offense this year, right, Simon? Like this is this is what it is going forward, and we're pretty happy with it. Sure, I, I think they've got to diversify. Like I said before, you know, it, because it it did feel like it became predictable and teams begun began to work it out as they always do. So, you know, the, the question for McDaniel is to get back in the lab and try and work out how he diversifies. Is that the run game? You know, do they draft a, do they hope that, you know, somebody like Jameer Gibbs falls to them in the second round? Do they take it back like that? Do they try and bring in a back in free agency like a Miles Sanders or somebody that, you know, really helps that run game so that they can really fix that element of it. So they're not so ultra reliant on the pass. Um, you know, so they're bringing guys up into the box to try and stop the run. Um, you know, we talk about how year two is the is the year where they really progress that that wide zone running game. Um, I don't think they can be so ultra reliant. I also don't think that they can continue to target Tyreek Hill as much as they do because it does become predictable. I think they need to find a tight end that they can really trust in the system because it was patently obvious that McDaniel didn't trust Mike Gesicki. 
Um, and, you know, you, you want to hope that somebody, and, and I hope it's Trent Sherfield because I thought he played really well. Um, but, you know, you're looking for somebody who's just going to take the the burden off those two guys. And you look at Cincinnati, for example, and look at, you know, Jamar Chase and T Higgins, but, you know, you've got Tyler Boyd there as well. You know, so having that extra guy and whether that's Sherfield or somebody else that comes through, um, I think will really help this. But you really want McDaniel to get back in the lab and, and start looking at exactly how they're going to try and make things a little bit different next season, a little bit more unpredictable, while still making sure that Wardle and Hill get their get their touches. Uh, Chris, you happy with the identity going forward, or it doesn't need a change? Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not perfectly happy with the identity because I think that, um, I think that they came in as, you know, guys with great reputations as run coordinators and run game sponsors. And that, you know, though, though we'd had good yards per carry, uh, and efficiency in the run game, we did not have a, a run game that really, um, dominated opponents. Uh, or dominated games, and we gave up on it very easily. And and I think overall the reason I'm, I'm not really necessarily putting that on the coaching staff, um, I, I'm going to put that on personnel because, uh, you know, one, until we traded for Jeff Wilson, we didn't have a, a good uh, second guy to go with Raheem Mostert. Um, and, then, and then two, more importantly, is the offensive line. I think there was a lot of smoke and mirrors covering up uh, issues on the offensive line, continued issues on the offensive line that we've been we've been uh, complaining about for years and years and years, and and actually in some ways you you got to congratulate the coaching staff for um, having been able to cover up the uh, the ineptitude of um, of guys like Liam Eikenberg and and Robert Jones and uh, and having to throw Lester Cotton into into a starting position and in, uh, in a playoff game uh, all of a sudden and and having Austin Jackson and Brandon Shell uh, be your right tackles having you know uh, Greg Little in there um, Teron Armstead missing games I mean there, there's it was really on the personnel it was um, not a complete disaster uh, but it was almost a complete disaster because Teron Armstead was told by doctors to get season ending surgery in week one, you know? And, and so, so, I mean, there, there was almost a complete and utter personnel disaster in the offensive line. And, uh, and they kind of were able to, to get by with smoke and mirrors and, and grit and, and rub some dirt on it. And, you know, and, and I think that that's uh, to their credit, but, um, this that that affected the identity of the offense, and I think going into next year, if you don't if you don't completely, you know, retool that offensive line and get confident in it uh, to where you can you can actually have a run game, then I don't know what you're even doing, you know, and and, and that's so yeah, I, I don't like the identity necessarily um, that we're we're going with so far i think that it still does need change but it starts at the personnel level and uh if we're going to get to be dangerous in a championship sense uh then that's what they have to do all right and we're going to talk about the the defensive identity but that doesn't matter anymore they fired the the defensive coordinator and we don't know what it's going to be going forward although we suspect it'll be the front four sealer wilkins chubb phillips 
So there's no need for that. So let's hand out some awards. And I'll go first. Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and Team MVP. The Offensive Player of the Year is going to be Tua Tungabaloa for me. You lead the league in passer rating. You lead it in yards per attempt. And you basically have to completely melt down to get down to a 3-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. You know, that's a pretty good season. That's a pretty successful season for a quarterback. I just wish he played more games. And if he plays more games, I'm pretty sure they win more games. So he's my offensive player of the year. My defensive player of the year is Christian Wilkins. You can't set records for tackles for a defensive end. I mean, for a defensive lineman, period, and have, I believe it's 98 tackles. And I heard the stat, 76 of them were within two yards of the line of scrimmage or behind it. Top five in tackle for tackles for loss. Uh, top three, I believe, or no, number one in run-stop ratio. Yeah, he's my defensive player of the year. And my MVP is Tyreek Hill, and it's obvious. Uh, transformation on the offense was stark. You went from a bottom third offense to a top third offense at least. And with the quarterback, you're a top five offense. And 1,700 yards is 1,700 yards. There's no way to to sugarcoat that. It's the best wide receiver season in Dolphin history. And I understand that Mark Clayton had 18 touchdowns, but Tyreek had almost 500 more yards. So those are my picks. Your picks, Simon. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Christian Wilkins, and Tyreek Hill. All right, Chris? Offense, well, it's 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 Tyreek Hill and Tyreek Hill as far or as far as Offensive Player of the Year and MVP. Um, and it's not just because of the stats. Uh, it's, it's because... It's because he catalyzed, I think, the entire offense, even before they stepped on a field the first time. Um, and, and I think that it was an attitude. It was in confidence. It was, you know, it was reflected in a lot of ways. Um, he was infectious. Uh, he was tough, tough as nails uh, throughout the season. I, mean, I, I was about to, you know, maybe consider uh, a Teron Armstead just for the toughness that he'd put on display all year fighting through all those injuries playing anyway playing really good football too um you know i i think but I, if i really think about it tyreek hill faced some injuries as well and he toughed himself through it too and and performed you know and performed week in and week out and uh and i think that that's that's mvp caliber that's offensive player of the year uh he they shouldn't have gotten away with being the type of team that they were this year uh, I think based on the offensive line talent and, and he was the big reason that they did. Um, now, as far as defensive concern or defense, you know, I, I see giving it to Christian Wilkins, but I'm also going to get, I'm actually going to give it to Jalen Phillips. Um, and I think that that's because, you know, if you really, if you really look at what he did this year from a pressure standpoint, um, he was, he was the, he was the best, I think, you know, he, he might have been up there with, uh, with like Cameron Wake as far as the kind of uh, pressure that he provided. But he was a complete, a more of a complete player, I think. And, uh, and the way that he took over in, uh, in some games down the stretch and the way that he developed, I mean, he, he might be the highest rated player on the defense overall. You know, I, I think that he's, um, he's a strong He's a strong force on that defense, and we're going to have to pay him a lot of money. And uh, and you know, I think that he had such a such an impact on some of the 
the defensive the the games where the defense actually kind of turned it around a little bit, um, which weren't very many, unfortunately, because of the back end. But um, but yeah, I think that that's defensive player of the year for me. All right, and that'll do it. Uh, the next time we talk to you guys, we'll be in complete off season mode. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.